Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Boys to Men's Warehouse. From large to small and big and tall, Boys to Men's Warehouse has got you covered. Literally. Our suits have a special wicking material so you won't have to wait till the water runs dry. And this breathable fabric will keep you cool through all four seasons of loneliness. You'll look so fresh, every Jezebel in town will be saying, I'll make love to you like you want me to. They'll be all over your inseam. Our custom pant legs are extra long, so they won't ride up when you're on bended knee. We also offer rentals in case you only need those special threads for one sweet day. Come visit our newest location in Motown, Philly. Boys to Men's Warehouse. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 giving you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your host dylan short and adam doc herbert everybody welcome to another episode of the platinum sombrero and it is trade deadline week which i know you guys are so excited to hear about but before we do you know we got to hear from our sponsors at mybookie.ag mybookie.ag the number one place to go for any and all online sports betting if you guys didn't notice last night thursday because you guys are listening on friday last night was the opening game of the preseason for the nfl the hall of fame game and what better sport to place some wagers on than nfl i don't know maybe college football which will be starting up before you know it mybookie.ag has all the best lines all the best prop bets for any and all gambling not just football if you if you think you're good enough to bet a baseball game and bet the line in a baseball game have at it mybookie.ag will help you out i'm sure basketball is about to start up again soon because hey it always does you can bet that as well mybookie.ag is the number one place to go for any and all gambling events fight games uh traditional sports whatever if you ever have a question about a line or or wonder what a certain number means, their customer service is second to none. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match just for using our promo code. MyBookie.ag, play, win, have a great time. All right, Doc, 
are you yeah. are you sufficiently lathered up after today? God, what a question! You know, I I really am. I really am. I I think uh, everybody was was really. I mean, a lot of people were really vocal about, you know, I don't think the Braves are going to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, they might not do anything major, but they're not just going to um, let this trade deadline go by without fixing everything and just essentially punting on the rest of the season. But even for expecting them to do something, they, they actually wound up doing more than I thought they were going to do. So I am I'm amped. I am hyped right now. What, what is your uh, your level of lathered up right now? It's different spurts. Where's my Noah Syndergaard? Huh. Well, um, I mean, I could tell you. I could tell you exactly where he is at this exact moment if you want. It was a rhetorical question, Doc. Uh, okay. Well, you know, sorry, I'm not picking up on it right now. I'm pumped. I mean, I get it. You know, there were there were a lot of rumors about. You know, w- would it be Noah Syndergaard? Would it be uh, Mike Miner? Uh, was it going to be a starter? You know, after the thing with Markakis' wrist, it was like, are we going to wind up adding an outfielder? But I mean. Time and time again, you know, the offense has proven that it is incredibly robust when it's clicking. And even when it's not, it's still good enough to win games. The starters, you know, there's there's some holes in there. But, you know, Julio has been great. Soroka has obviously been great. Freed has been great. Uh, there's some holes beyond that. But time and time again, the biggest thing has just been bullpen issues like every time you turn around. And so that was what they, they opted opted to fix. And for me... That that was the one that that you know even if you do add a starter you had to fix the bullpen anyway but this this is the one they did enough at least from where I'm sitting to where I'm just looking around going man we got a better shot than I thought we did I'm glad you think that way are you now I'm very sad that Joey Wentz is gone before we before we go on you guys know the trade already we'll talk about that in a second so. Thank you guys for your well wishes. They are very much appreciated. The Joey Wentz fan club will continue in memoriam uh, for for a while. I will take some time. It's kind of the universe's way of saying that I don't get to love prospects because I don't have a good track record, Doc. I don't know if you realize this. In the last year, I attached my train to Giancarlo Encarnacion. What happened to him? Traded last year at the trade deadline. Attached my wagon to Izzy Wilson. Released. Now comes Joey Wentz, the first one that I really attached my train to, and now he's gone to because the freaking Nationals had to try and get greedy and ruin everything for me. So I'm having to deal with a loss. Uh, that being said, I will be I will put away the hurt prospect evaluator part of me, and I will go with the objective podcaster reference, the objective baseball guy. It was still. It was all of the trades were were good trades. The Braves did not give up. Objectively speaking, did not give up anything of of hurtful value. I would guess they didn't have to give up anybody from the top three. And I was convinced that Ian Anderson was gone. And quite honestly, Alex may not say it. He may hint that hey, we were looking at other people and the value just wasn't there. Uh, I fully think that. They expected to trade Ian Anderson for, say, a Wheeler or a a Cindergard. Uh, I think those were the. I think those two were the two targets. There was some mention uh, that they were looking at Bumgarner a little bit. I don't think that that was ever really going to happen because Alex is pretty is pretty big on not paying for name value and getting what 
what they are now as opposed to what they were then. So I don't think Bumgarner was ever a real thing. And thank the Lord, because that would have been horrendous. Um, like you said, we talk about you know the starting pitching is not always the best. It's not always the most consistent. Um, now with Nick having a broken wrist, you're kind of relying on some guys that you didn't figure you'd be relying on at this part of the season. But it's been the bullpen. And numbers aside... Like the if you just look surface stats wise ERA the bullpen has actually been really good since like the end of May. Now they've been into a, a bad stretch here lately, but I don't think at any point in the season you or I have ever felt confident about this bullpen going up against the likes of like Los Angeles or Chicago or Houston or any of the other AL playoff teams, right? No, absolutely not. And even you know Swarzak was was oh God, he was so great for the first. Two months, but you know, after his his shoulder uh, inflammation or or whatever shoulder affliction it was that put him on the IL, he just hasn't been the same since then. And you know, Luke Jackson, such a wonderful story. Um, he honestly he has struggled a lot, but I've never seen anybody with as consistently bad luck as him. You know, like giving up uh, giving up hits like off the thumbs or like just bleeders that literally nobody would wind up giving hits on it. And it's, the thing is now it's happened enough times where it's like, this is just who he is. And it's too bad. You know, he's, it's not like Shane Carl when he's just giving up incredibly loud contact all of the time. Sometimes it's just those, those little worm burners that, that just barely get out of the infield and, Next thing you know, the bases are, lo- are loaded with nobody out, and you know, ball hasn't even found its way into the outfield grass yet. So, you know, you've got that, and then you've got the inconsistencies with some of those spots. AJ Minter has been what has happened to him. You know, you can pick out any anybody in the bullpen and, and point out what their warts are, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're um, some of it's based on talent, but some of it's just based on youth. You know, some of these guys just haven't been through this stuff before, so. Uh, what they what they did, the three guys they went and got. It's not just that they're they're having good seasons; they're really talented guys. But each of them are over thirty. They've got that veteran thing. It's calm. It's stabilizing. It's somebody who's been through the ringer before. I mean, God knows Mark Melanson's played for like eight different teams before, and that's not necessarily because he's like a journeyman type, but it's just because he's he has he has bounced around. He's been in high demand for a lot of his career. So, um, I think this. Even if it's not, it's still not perfect. You know, there's still going to be some some games. You know, I'm I'm under no illusion that we're going to go out there and have no blown saves for, for the rest of the year, and the bullpen ERA and FIP are both going to be under one or anything like that. But big steps, big, not not just a band aid. This is something that's going to help the wound scab over. That's a God. That is a terrible terrible analogy I just made. But I I think that that you know what I mean. Yeah, I I, I do. You and I were talking before the show just kind of about this trade, so let's kind of talk about them a little bit. Obviously, the the biggest trade of the day being Joey Wentz and Travis Demerit for Shane Green. That was a weird one because it looked right before that one became official, the Braves traded for John Ryan Murphy, the catcher for the Diamondbacks, who is a good defensive catcher and completely useless with the bat. Um Look, they traded him. They traded for him for cash considerations. So I'm guessing they might have given up like ten dollars and some bubble gum, which made, which led me to believe because that was all that's reported. Led me to believe that William Contreras was going to be the one that was sent away. Why? Because the Tigers were charging the Nationals Carter Keyboom 
for Shane Green. So naturally, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'd rather it kind of be Contreras because if they're sending Alex Jackson, then it's got to be somebody higher up than that, right? Well, it didn't quite turn out that way, and I won't forgive the Nationals for this because the original deal was going to be Alex Jackson and Travis Demerit, which might have been the biggest steal in the entire trade deadline. And I'm not, I'm not even that big a Shane Green guy. You know, it's there's been a lot made of different teams that have been trying to overcharge the Braves because of the quality of their farm system. It actually, and it's going to sound like I'm dogging on Joey West, but I'm absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, Carter P- Keeboom is the number 20 prospect in the game. And instead of getting him, they wound up getting uh, two guys, you know, one guy who wasn't even in the Braves' top 30 and who repeated double A last year. And then Joey Wentz, who, you know, he was our, the highest rated prospect for, for some of the, the major outlets that we wound up having to give up here, but, but still not a top 100 and not even really approaching top 100. So um, it's, it's weird. It's, it's almost like we were on the receiving end of, of of a good thing happening because of our prospects now, uh, as opposed to them trying to absolutely just gouge the nationals. So, you know, we gave up more than we would have liked to. And, and God knows you and I have, have sung Joey's praises a lot um, on this show. Like ever since we first started, you know, I think we talked about him in the very first episode about how much we liked him. And it's too bad. It's, it's really too bad, but, I, I talked about sometime in the last couple of weeks about we've been really lucky that we haven't had to give up any of these major prospect guys. And now, you know, we, we had to give up a couple of, a couple of ranked guys like, you know, Colby Allard and, and, and Wentz and, and Tristan Beck and these guys that it's like, God, Colby Allard was the first draft pick of the rebuild, you know? So, and even that didn't hurt as much. So we got, I think we got lucky I think this deal for Green, we wound up paying a lot less than than they were demanding from the Nationals, and this is somebody who has got you know saves, take them or leave them. You know whether whether you think that they're just a totally bogus stat or not. You know they do kind of matter for something. You look at a guy like Luke Jackson, and you can say this guy doesn't have the mindset of somebody who needs to be pitching in the ninth inning. Uh, his nerves get to him too much. Well, Shane Green, he's got 22 saves, and he and you know that's that's not nothing. You know, so he he's somebody that, you know, any of the three guys that we got today, you could you could realistically plug them into the closers role. But that's somebody who's got the number right there. And you feel a lot better immediately handing the ball to Shane Green than you do to Luke Jackson. Well, Shane Green is interesting because if you look at his stats and if you just look at the service stats, his ERA is impeccable with a one one eight. You think, wow, okay, this guy's one of the best in baseball. That's not and this is going to sound like I'm just hating him because I don't like him, but it's not really the case when you dig a little bit deeper. There are a lot of indicators that what you're getting out of Shane Green is not what he's going to be. Uh, and we'll, we talk about it a little bit in the second segment with our guest here. Um, but the the biggest thing for Shane Green, and his Sierra is really good, his, his ERA and FIP are not as good, uh, but the thing that worries me so much about him is the BABIP. His BABIP is 178. He's got a career 303 BABIP against him. That's huge. It is, but you know, maybe maybe that's one of those one of those things that you look at the volatility of relievers and year over year. This is part of why I like the Chris Martin deal, which which we're gonna get to in a second, but 
relievers are so volatile from year over year over year that sometimes, you know, some some guys like Tim Hudson, Julio Tehran, we talk about them all the time. That they've made a career out of out pitching their fifth. Some guys, if they're riding a hot enough hand, we talked about Luke Jackson's bad luck. Some guys can just ride good luck for an entire year. And this is why you take a look at a guy like Shane Green and say he is absolutely having one of those types of years that you absolutely just got to go out and grab him. And you're right. There's a giant, giant disparity between his ERA and his fifth. I mean, his fifth is almost four. His ERA is hardly above one. Some of that, there's going to be some some natural correction to that. But I think being being in a smaller park than, than playing at Comerica, where the Tigers play, could come back to haunt him a little bit. You might see his home runs spike a little bit. But the Braves' defense is great, not just uh, – not just in the infield, but also in the outfield. You know, Ender's back. Uh, Acuna's playing on right, and you got Duvall in left, and Duvall's a really good defender as well. So, I, I, I'm not as concerned about the Babip stuff as much as I am about um, about the home runs. Maybe he's only given up five all year in 38 innings, which which is not terrible. But I, I'm excited because he's striking out 10.2 per nine, and he's walking 2.8 per nine. For as many times, I mean, man, our bullpen walked six in four innings the, the other night against Washington. Like, it was painful, painful to watch. I was on game coverage. I, I couldn't even turn the game off. It's like you can you can see the plane crashing into the mountain, and I'm just, don't, don't look away. Can't look away. But, yeah, this this is a guy, like I said, you just feel better about plugging him in, even even knowing and maybe there will be some some regression there. But I'm I'm not as worried about about that i'm i'm really happy with this deal well shane green was always kind of my least favorite of the relievers anyway but the other two are are really sneaky good names let's talk about the one that came down the wire on tuesday night and that is chris martin from the rangers straight up for colby allard now there was some confusion with martin if you look at his spot track or fan graphs or bref it looks like he's got another two to three years of arbitration. Well, he actually doesn't. He signed a two-year deal. Like It was some two-year agreement coming over from Japan, coming from Nippon Ham, uh, where he's he was a two-year deal. So this is actually the last year, so it's kind of a rental. Uh, so if you're just looking at that, you'd say, oh, Colby Allard was the, what, 15th overall pick that year? Uh, was it? Was it 15th? 14th or 15th? 4, 14th in 2015. 14th in 2015. A potential 1-1 before his back issue. Oh, that's a that's a lot to give up. Well, Colby didn't really factor into Atlanta's plans, and it was no more apparent than this year where Colby took a ton of steps forward this year. Uh, his velocity was back up for, for a large portion of the year. He was starting to throw a cutter and was starting to do pretty well with it, um, but still buried behind at least seven or eight other pitchers. And it was really telling that Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, and Sean Newcomb were all struggling as badly as they were, and Colby never got a call up, which kind of tells you he wasn't in this organization's plans. So to go and get a reliever that not only is a Chad Sabatka-sized man, 6'8 and 215, not only has a fastball to match, he averages like 96 miles an hour, he also has a full four-pitch repertoire, and he does not walk people. You're talking about a guy with a walk rate under one per nine. He walked a guy last week. That was the first walk he'd had since April. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can't say enough about, like, <laughs> the Braves walked more, Braves bullpen walked more batters on Monday night than Chris Martin has walked all season. I mean, it's, 
it's unfreaking believable. And he he's not without his warts too. His his ERA is three oh eight. His FIP is four oh two. Um, his xFIP is two ninety three. So he's uh, he's had a little bit a little bit of bad luck there. But he's given up almost two home runs per nine. Now we talked about the the size of Comerica Park maybe playing to Shane Green's advantage. Now it's kind of the opposite for Chris Martin because he's playing in Globe Life Park in Arlington, which is basically like the American League's answer to Great American Ballpark. I mean that place is tiny. So that will wind up correcting a little bit. But what I like about him, he, he's also striking out 10.2 for nine. Uh, you mentioned the, the great, just sparkling walk right there. With the home runs, at least he's making guys earn it. You know, he's not just giving free passes and just, you know, walking the bases load and then hitting somebody and, and they score that way. Like if you're, you got to muscle one out against this guy. And great. Great story. Went undrafted. Hurt himself. Worked in a warehouse for a couple years, and you know went went to play in Japan. And now he shows up over here, and now he's like he's got absolutely elite control. So really happy about this move too. And Colby, like you said, had no place here. And and that's not just with starters, but that's also like they called up Oscar Anoa. They called up Jeremy Walker. They called up Patrick Weigel. They didn't use him, but but they called him up too. So they used some of their surplus of pitching and they got somebody who can help them right now. Talked about volatility uh, about Shane green. Same thing with Chris Martin. Like who knows this guy might go out and, you know, maybe he'll be unbelievable next year, but for somebody who doesn't have a track record, you can't assume that he's just going to go out and be amazing. Maybe he'll suck next year, but you know what? Right now he's just what this bullpen needs. And by putting Chris Martin in and subtracting Chad Sabatia. Yeah. Now you've only got, one guy who can help you in the bullpen pickup game of basketball or whatever, but man, uh, good move and didn't didn't really take much truthfully. Like he Colby had been surpassed by so many different guys, so I well, I like this one too. I don't want to interrupt there, but I kind of want Chad working with Chris Martin because it's such a different game when you're talking about guys that are six seven six eight. Like it, it really is a totally different type of, of setup that they're working with like when you're long like that it does not take a lot to to get your mechanics out of whack and there's not a lot of guys that chad sabaka can just go to and be like hey man are you seeing anything weird can you show me how to fix it like there's not that many people that he can go up to in this world and be like hey you're the same size as me show me what i'm doing wrong and sure i i think chad needs to work on some things i think people are kind of overreacting a little bit to that last outing Aside from that outing and what one other one, Chad has been really good since he came back, and I still he think really, he really has. I yeah. still think he plays a huge role in this bullpen at some point going down the season because he just has some of the best stuff. His slider might be the best pure pitch of anybody in the bullpen for this Braves team, and I think a guy like Chris Martin, while not an established veteran, he's been around long enough. He's got a ton of pitches. He might maybe he can even show Chad a changeup, which would be great. I think changeups are far too underutilized by relievers. Um, but anybody that can be similar enough to kind of show Chad how to be consistent with mechanics and arm angle, I think that that's worth Colby Allard in and of itself because you know how high I am on the prospects of Chad Sabatka going forward. Yeah, that's that's really true. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And like you said, Sabatia has been since he came back from uh, from his demotion, you know, or his 
I don't know whether it was a phantom BL stent to help him work on some things or, or what. You can never be too sure when when it's real and when it's not. But but yeah, he has been really good. The other night was just kind of magnified because it was uh, one against a division rival and two it was the the second game in, in a row against a division rival that the Braves had lost because they lost the, the previous day against the Phillies. So a lot of grand slams over over the weekend. But you know, Chad once again speaks to the volatility of relievers last year he started in, in high a and he wound up pitching in the majors you know he he figured it out he had he had everything working for him so he things weren't falling out of whack so i mean it's not like working you know how tall is rick Kranitz? six one he, he can't really ha- relate to him and, and help him sort through all, all of those things so maybe you're right maybe you know i don't know whether he's gonna have a spot once all these guys come in, you know, we can we can talk about the the 40 man crunch and what it's going to mean for who goes where. Uh, pardon my dogs for freaking out in the background here. Um, but I think Sabat is going to kind of be on that fringe because, like we said about Austin Riley, like you can't really afford to run him out there right now because, you know, we're trying to trying to win a division. We're trying to make a deep run in the playoffs. And the, the days are kind of gone when you can let let guys just struggle at the major league level and figure out. It's like, look, man, I'm, I'm sorry. That that your slider is not biting right now, but you're going to have to figure it out in Gwinnett. And I I agree. I mean, at this point, there's still other guys I'd send down before Chad, but because you just got three people to put in that bullpen, there's guys that are going down. Like if you're going to ask me who I would trust, who I think is is a better bet to do something good in the playoffs between Josh Tomlin and Sabatka, I'd rather have Sabatka because I know what Tomlin's going to do in the playoffs, and it's not pretty. Uh, same thing with Jerry Blevins. Now, Blevins is probably safe because we basically have no lefties now in the bullpen because uh, you got to figure A.J. Minter's going down. He pretty much has to, right? Yeah, he. so we're looking at Blevins and Newcomb because Minter – he ain't got it. Minter right is a now. pine cone. To to use our friend Tara's words, Minter is a pine cone, and he has always been a pine cone, and he will always be a pine cone. I don't know if he's necessarily always been a pine cone, but he is definitely pine cone now. He's like he just, and you can see in his eyes, it, he just he doesn't have it, and he knows it. And he'll go out and he'll walk somebody on five pitches and just be like, ah, crap, here we go, here we go again, and. And every time. So once again, sorry about your cutter. Sorry you can't throw it for strikes anymore. Here are the directions to Gwinnett County. The field's on the left. I'm not you sorry know. about your cutter. Quick throw in the stupid cutter and go back to throw. Why would you learn a cutter if your best pitch is a slider? It makes no sense to me. They're the same oh. pitch. The cutter's just harder. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, like, uh, it's hard. And and we obviously, and for anybody who's listening to this that, that thinks that we're like trying to go out of our way to beat up on these guys, I mean, we're really not. It's just like sometimes, and you know, AJ Minter is kind of an easy target because ZRA is like got a comma in it. And because point. everybody called him left-handed Craig Kimbrell. I mean, and that's, that's kind of the danger too. You talked about not falling too far in love with prospects because they can get traded, but also like sometimes this is just how it goes. It's a disservice to have guys like Acuna and Soroka who come up and dominate immediately and forever. Because then you look at some other guy and it's like, well, why doesn't why doesn't he know how to how to throw three different pitches for strikes and keep everybody off stride all the time? Like it's it's tough sometimes having super elite prospects when when you've got some other really good guys that come up and they're just like they can't they can't quite get it. And even even last year when when Minter's numbers were a lot better, 
there still are a lot of moments where he's like walking the tightrope. You know, he's he's above a lake full of alligators and he makes it all the way across to the other side. And this year he had to turn around and walk back across and he's just falling into the lake and being eaten alive every time. So we're not not trying to hate on the guy. It's just it's the numbers kind of are what they are. And if you've been watching any games recently, you know, mentor ain't got it. I just want to know. I want to know who taught him that cutter so I can strangle them. I, for the life of me, I'll never understand why he learned a cutter and not a two seam. Like that to me, like that is the most obvious thing in the world. If your slider breaks that much, why would you not learn a two seam, which breaks the other way? Why? I, I, I don't, I don't know. This, I, got, I got nothing, man. I don't know. This makes me so angry. Like a sinker, a two seam, something that runs the other way, so it gives an opposite break, so the hitter can't sit on a location instead of a pitch. It drives me absolutely insane. So yes, Minter drives me up the wall. That flipping pinecone. Um, but there was another reliever added, and this one. If you're asking me who is the sneakiest reliever in here, it's this one. It's Mark Melanson. And if you had asked me. Probably three weeks ago, if I would want Mark Melanson, I would have given you a very vulgar answer that leaned towards no. Um, But that would kind of be unfair to what he's done this year. Melanson has been a lot better this year. Now, he was great when he was the the closer for the Pirates. He was an uh, all-star, three-time all-star, as a matter of fact. Really, really good. One of the best closers in baseball. Goes to the Giants and got paid and instantly sucked. And I mean instantly like from day one he was horrendous and he got hurt and i don't know exactly what happened but this year he seems to be a lot better i believe he's his era is what about three five three something like that it's fips around three three um he's pitching much much better and he's another guy with a ton of experience at the back end of the bullpen and he's the guy if you listen to kelsey on wednesday uh just talking about the guys when they figured out the trades that that went down melanson was the one that everybody was excited about you know, he if I'm not mistaken, he was the one. He was traded for Felipe Felipe Vasquez uh from Pittsburgh to Washington back when Felipe Vasquez was still Felipe Rivero. Um Marvel Anson is I was already excited about the Shane Green deal and the Chris Martin deal. And then this one came through, and this this is the one I'm most excited about too, because one, it cost you Tristan Beck, who was ranked number seventeen, and Dan Winkler, who peaked during the sacrifice bunt thing like his the the dan winkler experiment that's that's another one where when he got demoted this last time he's just been sitting in triple a and he wasn't going to wind up coming back and you know melanson had to waive his no trade to come here so he obviously wanted to and this first off about tristan beck that was brian bridges dude you know he he almost drafted tristan back in 2015 instead of mike soroka beck went to stanford and then they tried to get creative in the 2017 draft, which was the uh, Drew Waters gets a Kia draft. When, <laughs> when, um, when, it wasn't a Kia, it was a Tahoe. Well, you know, it's, it, you know, potato, potato. Uh, but uh, but he, uh, Beck was going to be a pick that year, and then he wound up getting drafted by the Yankees. He went back to Stanford, and then the Braves picked him in the fourth round last year. So they have had eyes on this guy for ever and now brian bridges part of the program brian bridges for former uh scouting director for the braves he's in san francisco now and he got his guy back out there so the fact that tristan beck wound up in san francisco doesn't surprise me even a little bit so what the braves wound up having to do here is they wound up taking on a guy who's owed a lot of money over the next uh 
year and a half, but they're paying, they absorbed all of it. So everything about financial flexibility, everybody, God, everybody just loves making that joke. But you know what? Between that and what they, what they did for, uh, you know, Shane Green's making 4 million this year, the prorated amount now, but he's also, he's going into ARB three next year. So he's going to make like $7 million. They just, they just took on 21 extra million dollars for next year. So like they're, they're showing that they're still willing to take on some money. And I know that they, they are going to have to, you know, there's money coming off the books for next year, but like the whole narrative about them being cheap and reserving money, like they, they followed through on it and they got a guy who's been around, who was closed before, who gets a ton of ground balls. His ground ball rate is 61.4. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. Yes. I know he's been playing out in San Francisco. This is the one that has got me really, really pumped. I, I just, I really like this move. I, can't say enough about it i i really can't and it seems weird that the guy who walks nobody and the guy who's like an actual closer aren't getting me as revved as as this particular trade is but i I think this is like this is dynamite for me this is the one that i think i think he'll be the closer if you had in when you head into the playoffs i think melanson will be the one who who's predominantly closing because green has some bad numbers against lefties so you're still gonna have to play some matchups and i do expect regression from him I actually think Melanson's going to work pretty well here because he does throw a ton of cutters, which generally, which tend to generate a ton of ground balls. And while the Braves' defense isn't special, infield or outfield, they are really good at not making errors, which means they are really, really good at making routine plays. And for guys that, that give up a lot of contact, that's what you're looking for. That leads to easy innings. That leads to double plays. I think Melanson's going to work out very, very well here. I think so too. I really do. And and this gives you the ability to do a couple of things. Number one, you get the chance to move Luke Jackson out of the ninth inning and Anthony Swarzak out of the eighth. You can, you can have them as like the first wave instead of being the last wave. You can stack these three guys that we just traded for in the past couple of days. You know, you can go Martin Melanson green in, in any order. If you want to go consecutive or if you, um, you know, any of these guys you can count on to come in and close out a game. So you have guys with closing experience. It allows you to, to really be pliable. Like there's been deeply defined roles that, that they've stuck to this year. And a lot of that has been out of necessity. You know, Luke Jackson is not a closer on a championship team, which yet again is not to just crap on the guy, but he's not, you know, he's best suited as a guy with his arsenal as somebody who's going to work the sixth or work the seventh, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's fine. I think that's a role that he can, he can really thrive in. So, um, you know, had a guy expressing concern about the fact that like you pointed out, it's Blevins and Newcomb are the only lefties that, that we've got in there now until Mitcher figures out what he's doing. And yeah, you know, maybe that would have been nice, but for right now, Braves front office took the biggest weakness on this team, by far the biggest weakness. And they, fixed a lot today so and the dodgers didn't really do much so and that that's the thing we've got this big brother or little brother syndrome with la and look at them going well yeah we're good but they're great and now i'm looking at them going like man i i don't know they didn't upgrade their bullpen like hardly they got like adam kalarik who's nothing special and now it's like we've got we got a chance <laughs> like super revved up. Like I've thought that, you know, we we're going to make it to the NLCS, but now I'm not like, eh, we'll, we'll, we're going to win the NLDS against somebody. And then we're going to wind up bowing out in, in the NLCS. We're going to get 
swept or something like that. Now I'm like, dude, we had a chance. We might lose the World Series to the Astros because they're ridiculous, but 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 hey, that's that's okay. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's kind of like the big question. We are running out of time. We have one other thing that we really have to get to, so this will be quick. Because uh, I was going to ask you how you feel about how the Braves match up with who I think are the two most dangerous teams, the Cubs and then the Dodgers, I think, are the team. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think our bullpen is now definitively better than the Dodgers. I think Kenley Jansen is obviously better than anybody that we have. I think Pedro Baez is right up there as well. But our bullpen is now much deeper than theirs until they get to the playoffs and Julio Urias is in it. But I would take our bullpen as it currently stands uh, over theirs at the moment. That's kind of where it ends for me, though, because you figure in a playoff rotation, it's going to be three starters. We'll be rolling out Keuchel, Soroka, and then either Freed, if Fulty comes back, or Tehran. Meanwhile, they'll be rolling out Hinjin Ryu, Walker Bueller, and Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's and this this offense is hasn't been nearly as uh, as adept at, at beating the the really great pitchers like last year they had some amazing you know they beat Degrom five times they beat Scherzer a couple times uh, they they beat they were beaten uh, they beat Nola a couple times too you know they they did really really well in those games and they haven't proven that this year but I think um, maybe just that kind of feeling of being a more complete team I don't know like Ryu's tough dude he's he's tough no doubt Walker Bueller Braves beat him last year. In the in the NLDS, that was the one game that they wound up winning. So, are the Dodgers a better team overall? Probably, but uh, but I still this is this is huge. This is this is absolutely huge for me. And now at least it gives you a little more breathing room to where if you're say if you're down uh, three to one going into the sixth inning, you now you feel a lot better. Like in a, in an NLCS game, you feel a lot better about the fact that your bullpen is going to be able to keep that within reach for your for your offense to, to do something against the Dodgers bullpen as opposed to just saying, well, here comes A.J. Minter. If we leave now, we can beat traffic. <laughs> that's, you know? that's really true. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I feel really good about playing the Cubs, even though they did get Nick Castellanos for nothing. Uh, for their the best prospect in that deal has like a 530 ERA in single A. So... Um, I think that, that that was a sneaky move by them, but it's going to push Hayward to center field more often where he's not nearly as good a defender. It takes down their outfield defense as a whole because that means they'll have Schwarber in left, Hayward in center, and Castellanos in right, and poor Jason Hayward is going to have to run everywhere all the time. Um, I think that we're better than the Cubs. Again, they have a crappy bullpen too, and their starters don't scare me. Lester can always run out and have a great game, although if you get a guy on first, please, for the love of all that is holy, just run. He's not going to throw. Um <laughs> <laughs> Darvish is tricky. I, I I don't know what the deal is with Darvish in Chicago. He'll have randomly he'll have like twelve strikeout games, but he'll walk eight people. I, I don't know what his deal is there. Uh, I don't know if it's just the yips or, or what. That whole Chicago team tends to get yips. So I'm not worried about them. Uh, so I feel comfortable that we're at least going to play the Dodgers. And I do feel we're a better matchup for the Dodgers than we were last year. Uh, so I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm hating on the Braves. I do think that we're a better team than we were a year ago, and I think we're a better matchup than we were a year ago. Just not quite ready to say that we're going to beat Big Brother this time. Um, next year may be a different story, and maybe they surprise me. I'd love to be. I'd love to be wrong about that. But before we go, we have to talk about what I think was the greatest event in baseball since Rugnet Odor punched Jose Batista in the face. <laughs> Dude, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love Yasiel Puig so much. I love him so much. And the fact – okay, so for any, anybody who, who wasn't paying super close attention to the, to the trade deadline, which I can't – for any team other than the Braves, which I can't imagine you'd be listening to this if that were the case, but three-team deal, Reds, Indians, Padres, Trevor Bauer going to the Reds, Yasiel Puig going to the Indians, and a whole lot of other moving parts. Yasiel Puig was still – in the game for the Reds after he had been traded. And then the Pirates-Reds brouhaha, which is this the third time this year they fought? I believe so. The first time was, uh, what was that? Chris Archer hit Derek Dietrich for admiring a home run. Then Dietrich had, that was back in like April. And then May, Dietrich had the three home run game and they threw at him again. And then they threw at him again last night, pinch hitting. Uh, Mitch Keller buzzed the tower on him. Or Keone Keela, I'm sorry. It's Keone Keela uh, who buzzed the tower on him and hit him. Uh, and Joey Votto had some very not nice things to say about Keone Keela. Uh, so Amir Garrett in the ninth inning. By the way, Yasiel Puig has already been traded at this point, yet he's still in the game. Um, that was a very odd moment. So they're in the ninth inning. And I don't remember if it was two outs already or what, but they're in the ninth, uh, and Amir Garrett basically comes out with the intention of, I'm going to hit these guys. So he ends up hitting a guy um, and then gives up a home run. Uh, The manager, was it uh, David... Bell. David Bell. I was going to say David Baker for some weird reason. I was getting him confused with Dusty, some weird amalgamation. Um, But... David Bell got tossed in the sixth or eighth inning, maybe. Puig was arguing a strike call, was about to get himself tossed, so David Bell came out and uh, took the took the ejection. Well, Amir Garrett is pissed off about something. So he's talking to his glove. They're yapping at him from the dugout, probably for how long it's taken him to get back to the mound or something like that. Uh, so the the bench coach who's filling in comes out, starts talking to him and Garrett starts getting incredibly animated uh, to the point where you, you know what's about to happen. Like he, he looks furious right now and I'm pretty sure he told his coach, Hey, I'm going to go fight these guys because the coach turns around to the dugout really quick, starts pointing and says, get somebody up quick uh, and takes the ball. And off goes Amir Garrett, straight up charging the entire Pirates bench, throws a Superman punch, misses that, unfortunately. would have been even better if he landed it. And chaos ensues for like five minutes. You've got Amir Garrett taking on the entire Pirates squad. There's like five guys holding him down. Big giant Puig comes running in to keep the peace. Then David Bell comes sprinting out of the clubhouse back onto the field to go take off after Clint Hurdle. He gets taken down by a player, uh, and he's screaming at, at Clint Hurdle, you know, you're a piece of blah, 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 and, you know, all, all that good stuff. And he, he's looking like he wants to strangle Clint Hurdle, and good, because Clint Hurdle is a very dirty manager. Um, Doc, were you aware that since 2011, the Pirates have hit more players than anybody else in baseball by four, 41 hit by yeah, pitches? Yeah, like by a lot. That's... That's dirty. And That's Clint Hurdle, Clint Hurdle, by the way, took over as the Pirates general manager in 2013. So this is obviously a Clint Hurdle thing. They've done it a ton this year. They've had rookies hitting guys this year. They've had Mitch Keller hit like two people this year. So Hurdle deserved what was going on. And then Puig gets upset at Chris Archer, who starts mouthing off. And it starts going again. And it just... 
I know some people think that, oh, that's that's barbaric. You don't need to do that. Everybody talking about blah, blah, blah. I loved it. That was one of the greatest baseball spectacles ever. I am 100% for it. That's two teams that genuinely hate each other. And if, to, to drill down on the, the Pirates playing dirty thing, don't forget that it was Joe Musgrove of the Pirates that threw inside of Josh Donaldson. I was I was at that game. I saw the, the benches clear for that, too. So, um, you know, there's that really famous image from earlier this season where it's basically Yasiel Puig against 25 Pittsburgh Pirates. And that it was last night was the same thing, except it was Amir Garrett. And for anybody who doesn't know, before Amir Garrett got drafted by the Reds, he was a basketball player at St. John's. He was pretty good, actually. But he actually he had been um, in a benches clearing brawl in a basketball game as well. Somebody dug up the footage and put it side by side. And he like, I mean, Amir Garrett is a big dude. He's like 6'6". You know what I mean? He is just, and when he comes charging in, like completely fearless, he's like, I'm going to beat everybody's ass everybody and then like once the fights kind of died down it was like there's images in there of him like like he's about to jump on top of chris archer and archer's got the fear of god in his eyes you know and after the whole thing dies down everything is chill everything's getting back to normal puig is yelling at his teammates freaking out on them because they're not fighting anymore it's like oh my god this this is a (laughs) spectacle but it's the most puig thing in the world because at no point during this brawl did Yasiel Puig actually play for the Cincinnati Reds. And how how fitting is it that Trevor Bauer had his temper tantrum, the last thing he ever did in a Cleveland Indians uniform was turn around and hurl the ball over center field fence in uh, Kansas City. And then here's Yasiel Puig, his final move, with with the Reds was to be in a in a giant brawl, you know. If I'm like Fran Mill Reyes or Logan Allen, I'm just like, I can't, I can't keep up with that. I don't. <laughs> what what am I supposed to do? He's like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna shove a nun on my on my way out of the convenience store or whatever. Be like, move, you know, like just feeling like he's he's really getting one over on somebody. Like my God, and and the brawls and stuff like throwing at guys. You know, I'm not really big on that. Like if you're if you're going to incite an act of violence, then both people should be able to defend themselves adequately. But like, man, that's the longest fight I've seen in a while. It went on for a long time. It was amazing. And David Bell for charging out of the, the clubhouse should definitely be manager of the year. Just for that one moment. I don't care what the Reds do the rest of the year. That one moment of an ejected manager running out of the clubhouse to get involved in the fight was the greatest thing ever. That yeah, like, and we we talk about Bobby Valentine a long, long time ago, where he came back out and <laughs> with a fake he's, mustache. He's like, yeah, he's got, he's got like the, the nose and glasses, you know. <laughs> he's like hiding in the corner, you know. And that was twenty years ago, and we still we still talk about that. So I mean, this thing with David Bell is like that. That was yeah, that was the funniest thing about the whole deal to me, where he's just like, you know, he's like sitting there sitting there in the clubhouse, like eating eating some dinner or whatever, and he just looks up on the on the TV, and there he's just like. Oh come on! And just pew, like the roadrunner, he, he's up the steps and he's back out on the field. Like, man, you just and, picture and, the you just picture the WWE thing. My God, that's David Bell, right? Right. And I'm also thinking back to like the Yankees and uh, Red Sox, the the brawl where 
the Pedro Martinez yeah. grabbed Don, Don Zimmer, who was like 80, and he just picked him up and just threw him onto the ground. Like, man, that's somebody's grandfather. He didn't, he didn't pick him up. He just grabbed him by like the ears and like pulled him down because Zimmer was trying to get him a piece of it. Like, yeah, that, listen, that, man, that, don't charge a player if you're old. Sometimes yeah. you got to know when to retire the hands, man. <laughs> right. You know, and then. And I also like I didn't even didn't even think about this uh, until it was John Boy who um, did just the the most hilarious recap of this video. There's like Francisco Cervelli who's got like the longest history of concussions in the history of Major Major League Baseball. He just like he grabbed Hurdle and he was like, "You and me are getting out of here, dude. We we have zero place in this whole thing." He's like, I, "My brain is is not equipped." to be anywhere near this and he's just off the side like jesus it's carnage everywhere <laughs> it really was and if you listen to the call that might have been the worst play-by-play call of all time the the reds guy that was calling it all he sounded like he was trying to call the kentucky derby it was absolutely pathetic you guys should check that out as well but for us we've got to go take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk to one of our good buddies ben chase who does a phenomenal job ranking out every prospect you can possibly think of for the Braves and many, many more. We'll discuss how the trade deadline and and how the moves the deadline affected not just the major league team, but the minor league team as well and how Atlanta is ranking overall in the farm system. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Stick with us through the break and we'll be right back here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by that new Broadway smash, Rage Against the Vending Machine. Follow our hero, Tom Morello Yellow, as he leads the people of the Sunkist in a quest for socio-political justice, which is eclipsed only by his quest for snacks. Come rally around the family with a pocket full of Skittles and sing along with such sugary classics as Kit Kat in the Name of, Spree Now in the Fire, Renegades of Fanta, and Fistful of Starburst. Rage Against the Vending Machine. Mountain Dew what they told you. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. everybody welcome back to the platinum sombrero brought to you by our good buddies at seat geek if you ever need a ticket to anything whether that be a braves game a falcons game a hawks game a concert whatever it is seat geek is the perfect place to go you can go online at seatgeek.com or you can use their app and if you use our promo code acaa you'll get 20 dollars off at checkout why is that a big deal because seatgeek.com also has a patented uh, patented algorithm that'll tell you how good a particular seat is it'll tell you how much you should be paying for that seat so you know at wrigley field there's that one seat that has the pole sitting there right in front of it seatgeek.com will tell you that and say hey don't get these seats this one seat sucks go to seatgeek.com for any of your ticket needs if you're selling tickets you can go on seatgeek.com as well and they'll tell you how much you should be charging for that particular seat it's easy it's great to use seatgeek is one of the best apps around one of the number one ticket providers in the country seatgeek.com promo code acaa seatgeek life's an event and we have the tickets 
All right, so you guys can tell by the comeback music that um, your boy Dylan's feeling a little bit down. So we needed to bring in somebody that could help pick me back up and help me get over who I've just lost. I feel like I've almost lost a loved one, uh, even though it's somebody I've never met. So we brought on one of the nicest guys we know, one of the most dedicated prospect evaluators that I've ever met, and it is Ben Chase. Ben, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Just trying to recover after a busy deadline. Things got uh, things got kind of crazy there towards the end, didn't they? Oh, my goodness, yeah. And, and actually, more like after the end. Um, just especially when you reel in all the different deals that went down that, you know, you hear about how the Granky deal, one MLB official apparently said, how, how far away was that from the deadline? Said literally seconds. Uh, so, I mean, that's incredible that things like that come through and they do one thing that they clarified today, they have to have every player involved mentioned and no medical issues can still be outstanding when these are submitted. That, that all has to be taken care of by the deadline. So all that stuff that happens right at the deadline that then we hear about for the next hour, that stuff was all submitted in total. <laughs> That's just insane to me. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd hate to be a member of the, uh, the office that has to sort through all of that and make sure oh. nothing falls, falls through the cracks. Oh, yeah. It, it seems insane. It seems like just an absolute crazy amount of stuff to wait until the very end. I get that uh, if you wait until the end, sometimes you can get everybody to lower their deals, particularly like the Shane Green deal, it looks like, until the Nationals had to swoop in and ruin everything. Um, but it, it is so nerve-wracking. If you're a fan of a team that's just waiting there until the end, you're, you're sitting there and it's 3.30, 3.45, and, and you can't – you can't stop refreshing Twitter or Facebook or whatever you're on because you, you got to find out what the deal was. Yeah. Yep. And and the best part is I have a number of because of previous writing thing I've pre, previous writing gigs I've had. I have a number of Twins fans who follow me, and as of four o'clock, they had done nothing. And then Sam Dyson is announced afterwards. The panics that went through. All these Twins fans on Twitter at 4 o'clock was amazing. <laughs> that's that's true. I guess after the, the Romo deal, I had kind of figured that that was going to wind up being their addition. I didn't even really think too much about it, but especially after what ha- wound up happening with the with the Indians deal yesterday, the AL Central race got even, even more interesting. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, and now, now that the, the Braves and the Twins are both vying for for playoff contention i I know that you're kind of caught in the crosshairs between two different fan bases that are very very hungry for some uh postseason love here so i'm sure that that was kind of um getting into the psyche a little bit having two different fan bases going completely wild for a couple hours um hold hold on one second one second uh i have some breaking news that needs to be discussed i need both of you guys to talk me off a ledge i just found a gray chest hair (laughs) Um, can can i ask the obvious question why aren't you wearing a shirt because it is really hot in this recording room and now i'm really (laughs) upset that i decided to do this this is a this is a catastrophe this is a catastrophic day now dude on on top of losing joey now you find a great tester 
<laughs> this is the first one ever. I th- I think we I realize now why you have me on today. It's my it's my background in in mental health instead, isn't it? Yes, I need a therapist. I need a therapy session. Stat. This this is going to end up turning into a therapy session instead. <sighs> Doc, I'm, Look, I'm sorry. I know, for I know it, this is really tough for you, but just because of the optics that we have created here. Do we need to take a quick break so you can put the rest of your clothes on, by? <laughs> Y'all just keep talking. I'm sorry I interrupted. I won't do it again. I promise. No, no you're good. I mean, this is you're the young, you're the youngest one who's who's doing this right now. So as somebody who has quite a few gray chest hairs and most of my beard is being overtaken by by gray, then you know, welcome to the club, my friend. I just wish yes. that it didn't happen on a day where things were already really, really going badly for you. I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening to me. <laughs> it rains it pours anyway i'm so i'm so i'm sorry for the interruption i'm sorry to derail go back. we're we're talking no, no. no <laughs> uh, i get it i get it no. i didn't even know sam dyson got traded to the twins getting back on track here i honestly did not notice that that was news to me yeah and and frankly the return that san francisco got is actually pretty solid it's a guy the twins got that had broken his arm in his draft year or broke or separated his shoulder or something. And he was a first day type of guy. And then had that happen and they got him in the 20 something round and he just had, it took a while to heal. So he's like 25 in triple A or so because of that, because it took a while to heal and get healthy and everything, but he is just beating the snot out of the ball. And then there's another guy they signed, of course, the winner that the Braves, lost everything that had to do with international anything. Um, they signed a guy from Taiwan who is, I think, 6'4 and about a middle linebacker. Uh, and I just did a scouting report on him this summer and very strongly compared him to Jake Peavy. Um, there is a lot there to like. And in fact, um, Peavy at his prime seasons didn't have the velocity this guy has um and so the giants did pretty well on that deal uh that davis is going to probably be up in their outfield at some point this year and this tang is the last name of the guy that they got and then they also got a third piece that's part of the deal too but it could be the reverse of the uh aj Przinski trade that the twins pulled off on the giants years ago Well, speaking of the Twins, I know you got a lot of a lot of Twins fans there. Um, let's talk about the Braves a little bit. We talked about the the trades that happened a lot in the first segment, obviously, since I'm still crying about Joey Wentz being gone. Uh, but you are in almost as bad a boat as I am, seeing as you literally just finished your gigantic prospect list, and now you kind of have to totally redo it. How badly yeah. did this? How badly did this shake up the Braves prospect list in your eyes? You know, the crazy part is. It really didn't. Um, there's, I, I, I had really liked what Colby Allard has done this year as far as the work he had done on his cutter. And obviously, we saw the difference that he had last year when he came up and had a different ball that he had to try to manipulate with his 88-mile-an-hour fastball and junk. And it didn't work. He's using the same ball as he would in the majors now at AAA. 
So the fact that he's getting the success that he is tells you that hey, this this could work for him. Um, he's able to get break. He's able to get all the movement and everything else that he couldn't do last year once he got to the majors and had to have that ball. Yeah, it's a big difference for him. And so I had him in the top 10 of prospects. I had him at number nine. I had Joey at 14. You're probably going to tell me I was way low on Joey. I <laughs> uh, had him at 14. I had Tristan uh, back at 20. And I had uh, Travis at number 40. And overall, that's, I mean, that's the four guys who are prospect eligible that are no longer with the system. You didn't lose any of your top, any of your top eight on the list that I have. And frankly, as far as Allard goes and Wentz, you know, there are, you just start listing them all off. You know, you have Anderson, you've got Wright, you've got uh, Wilson, Moeller, Davidson, De La Cruz, you know, all still at, and you know, at double A AA or triple A. And that doesn't even count Weigel or, or Enoa, who could be a starter, could be a reliever. You know, that's a lot of arm depth of very talented prospects that are either on or on the cusp of top 100 type of talent. And to not have to give up the guys who are top 50 type of talent, that's a pretty, pretty good, pretty good trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I, I was impressed that they were able to get away with not giving up any of those guys. That's that, that was really impressive to me. So you would you would say that this is still a top you know upper echelon top tier farm system even even to have to, after having to surrender three out of their their top twenty from your list, right? I would I I'd say you know there's there's some systems that were kind of on the way up that stocked up a bit today you know the Marlins are a good example of that they added a bunch of pieces and they to me you can make a good argument they may be above the the Braves at this point. The Braves were number three, and I believe the Marlins may have been fringe top five in BA's rankings. I don't have that right in front of me, but um, Marlins were have been moving up significantly. I know Fran, Fangraphs has them at like number four, number three before the deadline, and so this is only just going to pump them up even further. Uh, so that's that's one system I could see. You know, the obviously. Padres for sure ahead of them. The Rays, you know, granted they gave up a huge piece in Jesus Sanchez, but they really didn't give up a ton other than that. As far, and they're so deep that, yeah, I think, you know, Braves are one of those teams that are going to be, they're for sure a top 10, and they're definitely going to have a good argument as a top five farm system in all the game. And the Major League Club is now in first place with three experienced bullpen arms added to the back of that bullpen. I guess I can understand that. Um, if I'm just looking at the Brave system on my own, I don't think uh, I don't think they drop significantly. I think Joey is the one that I think was the highest rated. I still had Colby 
kind of low. Uh, I, I know what he was doing this year. He was up a little bit velocity-wise. He's been hitting 92, 93 in some spots. Uh, there's still a lot of questions for me on Colby Aller, particularly – I yep. hate his delivery. That that's really the crux of the matter. Like I can deal with you throwing eighty eight to ninety two, but you have to have some sort of deception in your delivery, or it has to be repeatable. And his just aren't. Maybe Texas works something out with him. Maybe they send him to drive line, like I've always thought he should go to. Uh, but the Allard for for Chris Martin deal, I loved. Um, the Tristan Beck and Dan Winkler for Melanson, I loved. Even though Melanson was not good ever since he went to San Francisco. He's actually been good this year, and he does have the three all-star appearances under his belt. And he's a guy that has a lot of closer experience. And before going to the Giants, he was considered one of the better closers in the league. I think that's a good bounce-back potential right there with him. Shane Green, and it's not just because they traded Joey Wentz. Shane Green is one that I struggle with. I really didn't like Shane Green all that much coming into this. I know the ERA is 118. I'm fully aware of the ERA. I know that he's throwing the cutter a lot more this year, but we talked about it in the first segment. I just think that he's due for some major regression. He is a guy. Here's I had a good discussion with somebody who was all about Alex Colome. And I put their season side by side. And you can go through all of your basic, you know, your hard hit rates, your fly ball rates, your um, average velocity, um, you know, average, you know, any change in break or anything like that, um, strand rate, all those good things that are indicators of a guy's about to have something big happen. And Alex Calme looks like a guy who is about to go from right about the same ERA as what what uh, Green's putting up. I think he has maybe a 120-something, but he looks like a guy who's about to go to about a 5 ERA. Green might be a guy who pitches at a 3 ERA. And while that can be problematic, that's also with the current defense that Detroit is putting out there. Is Atlanta's defense going to give him a better opportunity to use his huge ground ball rate and get extra outs than an average guy would? Because guys who can do that or that can get an insane amount of infield fly balls tend to outpitch their FIP. And if he can do that and the Braves' defense can live up to par behind him he could he could still be a guy who gets out of situations pretty well he's not going to be a guy who goes out and strikes out a third of hitters that's just not what he's what he does and if anyone is thinking that they're getting a shutdown closer that's going to strike out every third guy that comes to the plate that's just not who he is but he's also a guy who could come in potentially in the ninth inning when the game was originally a five-run ninth, somebody made it a two-run ball game, and there's two runners on, and he can get the ground ball and get a double play. You know, And that's a nice skill to have out of your closer as well. So there's, there's positive and negative with him. I, for the price that was paid for him, I am okay with it. Anything that would have been, you know, like, there were folks who were trying to talk about 
stuff, you know, potentially a guy like Contreras going in that deal. I would have really struggled with that, even though there is some catcher depth now within the organization and he could be seen as possibly extra. That's, that's a, that's a tough sell on a guy like green, but you know, moving two guys that are, you know, like I said, for me, 14 and 40 on the list, that's not, that's not going to break your back. Well, that's also for a guy that you wind up getting another year of control for as well. You know, Chris Martin, yeah. he, he's a rental. That one actually is kind of the, the more perplexing for a lot of people because Colby was ranked ahead of them, and and you you wind up getting getting a guy for two months as opposed to a guy like Green who you're getting fourteen and forty, and and you get him for for this pennant race and and hopefully for for another one next year. But all all of these guys have you know there's a lot that's been said about Atlanta's defense this year. Um, especially the infield defense and each of these guys, you know, Martin has the lowest ground ball rate of all of them at 49, you know, green is at 40, uh, excuse me, 53.8 and Melanson 61.4. So you're looking at a lot, a lot of ground balls there. So, you know, and it's, it's different situations for, for part, different parts that they're playing in different leagues yeah. uh, in, in the case of Martin and green. So it'll, it'll be interesting, but I think as far as the, the prospect cost goes, you know, I, I, I love Joey Wentz too, but, you know, for, <laughs> you you saw it today in the Nationals game. You saw it last uh, Saturday, I think, in the Phillies game, where it's a humongous lead, um, or at least that's how. Uh, excuse me uh, for Tuesday night's game, where it was a humongous lead, and then gets so close and so close and so close, and it's all just the young guys who are coming out and they can't throw strikes. I mean, these are these are guys that you got to be willing to give up young, unproven prospects for, even for as much as we love them. You know you're not going to wind up winning the world series with, with Chad Sabatia pitching the eighth inning, even for as much as I like Chad Sabatia. So, um, so yeah, it hurts, but I mean, you look at everybody that's surrounding these guys. I mean, Allard was the, the, uh, second ranked, uh, lefty in the system. Went a little, little bit farther than that. Beck was like the seventh ranked righty. I mean, there's so many different guys that wind up ahead of him. So, yeah. Um, I, I want to kind of dig into your list a little bit. This is on videobaseballscout.com, right? This new top 100 that you put out? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you got, to the surprise of probably nobody, you've got Christian Pache, Drew Waters, and Ian Anderson as your, as your one through three. Um, I have to imagine that it, the hard part wasn't necessarily picking which would be um, – the top three, but as far as sequencing the three of those, I mean, Pache is generally number one anymore, but like, as far as what made you put waters in front of Anderson, or was it just kind of like a two A two B type thing? You know, I'm, I'm working on my, my, uh, overall top list right now. And, uh, just to kind of give a hint right now, I'm really, you know, I, I work hard to try to not let my Braves fan bias come through when I'm putting out these overall lists. And it's really going to be hard not to have Pache in my, in my top 10. He has moved up that much that, and, and I've seen uh, multiple ranking lists now with him in the, in the top 10. And I, I, right now I think I have him 12 and that's, but I have uh, Waters and Anderson I think 26 and 28. So, I mean, they are, 
I mean, yeah, like you said, it's like 2A, 2B. It's, it, it, those two, you could flip a coin. Um, and especially, you know, the one thing I, I do think, if you were looking at season to date, it'd be a clear Waters 2, Anderson 3. Waters, I, I mentioned a couple things in my little write-up there, but Waters has got, you know, he's had a ridiculous high... Abbott. Everyone's talked about that. What I've noticed is, you know, he has been a, aggressive on the base path and not anywhere near successful on it. And I, that was one thing a lot of people talked about how he had such good instincts stealing bases and he's really not, he's dropped 15% in his success rate this year. And he was an 80% guy last year, over 80%, and he's at two-thirds this year. So that's notable. So that's For a guy who's right now, there's some big, you know, that's a big carrying tool for him. That's an issue. He's also got some big issues on one side of the plate as a switch hitter. And so there's a couple of concerns there. Anderson has literally gotten better every single month this year. I was I was looking at his game logs today, and you know the the smaller the sample size gets, or the more recent it gets, the more preposterous the numbers get. But starting with when he threw the no hitter, a couple I guess it was six seven starts ago. I mean we are talking about absolutely elite, absolutely elite pitching prospect. So I, I put this on there. I said you know I don't want to frighten double A hitters, but his ERA has gone down each month this season, while his K to walk has gone up every single month. And he's gone 11 starts, striking out 32.3% of batters. And wow. that was, he opened the year with eight starts where he walked at least two batters in every single start, no matter how short the start was. And since then, he's walking roughly 6% of hitters. So you're talking about a guy who there is not at the at the time, I think, I don't, I guess I'd have to look and see where um, the Keuchel and, and Soroka are right around that range. But that's, that'd be among the best on the staff as far as percentage rates for walk rate at the major league level right now. So that's how scant his walks are after walking multiple batters every single start to open the season right away. So I mean, that's, he's really coming on strong and he's 21 that's just what's ridiculous is that he's young and he's throwing mid 90s and he's got incredible stuff does the low spin rate bother you what's that does the low spin rate bother you you know what what i've had described to me there spin rate is all a matter of where it is placed if you are locating a high spin rate fastball up in the zone, that is what you want to do. If you're putting a high spin rate fastball lower in the zone, it has a lot better chance of being driven. It's all a matter of how he uses that fastball. And, you know, it. same thing with his curveball. You know, that curve doesn't have a ton of spin to it, but does it need to? 
you know, how it's, it's a lot on location. You know, that's one of the things I think it's one of those things where once everyone learned what BABIP was, everyone took off. And if you were over 300, you were about to regress as a pitcher. If you were pitching and hitters weren't hitting 300 off of you, you were about to regress. That's not true. <laughs> there are nuances. And I think one of those things we've learned a lot about spin rate, but there's so much nuance around spin rate as well that we're still learning as an industry. And part of that is there's so much that has to do with how you locate certain types of spin. I would say that it, the fastball spin doesn't bother me if he's able to locate. The curveball one gives me pause because it is so low. Uh, Doc, you were telling me, I think it's like, what What'd you say, 1,700, 15 or 17? I think like 1,700 last I had heard, yeah. And when you're talking about spin rate, like the, the reason why spin rate is, is important and why it's thrown around is it's not necessarily the amount of break. It's the sharpness of the break. So, like, yeah. the reason why Seth Lugo's curveball is so insane is it's got, like, a 3,500 RPM spin rate. Uh, Max Freed's has, like, a 2,895 spin rate. It's, it's something incredible. Uh, and that that's what allows you to fool a lot of hitters. It gives you sharper vertical break as opposed to more sweeping horizontal break. And that's not to say that he can't be successful with it i'm sure there are pitchers that are successful with low spin rate curveballs um, but it does put a whole lot more onus on his changeup to to really not just be above average but to really be a, a consistent plus pitch and and i would i would also put if he is going to be a guy with a with a low spin rate a perfect pitch to go alongside that is a cutter and I'd love to see him throw a cutter. Um, you know, not telling the Braves how to develop a guy. You know, I'm, I, I think one of the things that you know, the, I, I would love to see a lot more guys to a split finger. He's not a guy that I would put on a split, split finger just cause he doesn't get to spin. But if you put him on a cutter, that could be a real interesting thing to get that kind of horizontal movement on a pitch that somebody's looking at and coming near the same velocity as his fastball. So that could be a very interesting fourth pitch for him. But I'm not, I'm not the one in there making those decisions and let's work on getting three of them down perfect before we work on that. So. Do you think that, uh, that Pache and Anderson have kind of proven them themselves at uh, at Double A enough, and that they're both going to wind up getting promoted soon. I mean, it's now it, it, they were basically uh, Anderson, especially was has been forcing everybody's hand with the recent uh, with the recent production, and now that Colby is is out in Texas, there's a there's an opening in that Triple A rotation. So I wonder if you could see that happening, and also with uh, Demerit being in Detroit, um, Pache is kind of I don't know if he is. It's ever since he kind of took a day or two off that he had a stiff back. And ever since that happened, he's kind of been underperforming a little bit, but uh, let's see, we are recording this on July the 31st. So tomorrow, or by the time this comes out yesterday will have been his one year anniversary of having been promoted to Mississippi. Uh, and there, there's a spot for him too. So I just took a really, really long convoluted way of asking you whether or not you think both of those guys are going to get called up to AAA soon. I, 
I was a lot more certain that Christian would be before Alex came out and did his press conference um, because he just announced today that they have signed Lane Adams. And yeah. Lane is going to be heading to AAA, and likely I actually thought there'd be a very good chance that you'd see um, Pache go to, go to AAA for a month and very possibly be a September call and potentially be a defensive stud in the playoffs. That's not going to happen. You know, I would almost guarantee that's not going to happen, that that speed and defense guy is going to be Lane Adams, I would almost bet. And, you know, and like it or hate it, you know, I, I think Lane's an, an awesome guy. I don't, you know, there's, he's not, I don't know that he's got the raw talent that, Christian does, but that's not my decision to make. Um, but with announcing that, that kind of does put a little bit of a question as to whether or not, you know, if that signing then fills the merit spot um, as far as the AAA outfield is concerned. Um, so that I, I'm less certain on at the at the AAA level, I really, one of the things that I've been waiting to see is there, there's been some conversation among, among scouts, and then you've seen the Braves actually do it, that the Braves intended to use their pitching depth this year as sort of a, we have a 10-man pitching staff and three spots that we we're going to use between AAA and the Major League Club. And whoever is the hot arm is going to be up here. And that hasn't exactly held true, you know, where if Tukey's doing well, he's up here, but when he's struggling a bit, we're going to have him go down to Gwinnett, get his stuff right. If, you know, if Kyle's doing well, he can be up here in whatever role that is. If it's a starter or a reliever, you know, and there's a, the, the thought was that they were going to have a piggyback rotation spot and that would be for that particular role. And I did think it was notable when essentially about the same time Weigel got moved to Gwinnett, so did Jeremy Walker. And those two continued their piggyback that they really had done a lot in Mississippi. And now with, you know, Walker getting bumped up, I don't know. Are they going to have just a pure rotation spot opened up or are they going to use more piggybacking? That's, I'm not sure how they want to run that, but if they are going to do that, you would certainly think that you want to get him a full month at AAA just to kind of get a month of feel of that ball before the off season. And because I, I, want to say I have to look up the exact numbers again here but I want to say that he is getting pretty darn close to some innings caps for for Anderson I That's I think true. you're probably right I think he's uh he he's pitched a lot this year and he's been going a lot deeper yeah. than he was doing a year ago uh but 
let's kind of pivot away from the guys that everybody knows. Let's talk about some of the newer up and comers. Um, let's start with a guy that we've previously had on the show, because why not give ourselves a pat on the back? Uh, Justin Dean. Let's, let's talk about Justin for a minute. Which one? Justin Dean. Here. Good. Justin at number four. Do I have the map? 20s. Yeah, he is. You know, he and Trey, I really thought we're going to kind of follow each other up the ladder. And then Justin got hurt. And I, he's not, he's struggled a bit since he got back. He's not making, he's not a guy who's going to hit you balls that just rocket off of his bat. But he's, he's having at bats where the ball, the bats get knocked out of his hands at times in Rome right now. And I I don't see that being a long-term issue with him at all. I just think he's working his way back to health, and he's still not fully where he was. Um, but that's a guy who, you know, if you want to say that Christian is a an 80 defender, pure 80 center fielder defender, Dean's probably in that 65 to 70 range. I mean, he's really freaking good in center field. And about as fast as anyone in the system. And really is good at getting a bat on the ball. You know, even if it's not, they said, going to hit 30 home runs. He's got very good ability to put the bat on the ball. Those three skills, that's a guy who can play a long time in the major leagues. He may not be a full-time starter, but he can play a long time as a fourth and fifth outfielder. And you know, there's a number of guys who take that level of skill, just add a touch more power, and they can put up 10 to 15 home runs and suddenly they're, you know, they're guys that are a no doubt starter for five, 10 years in the league. Even after having missed a couple of weeks, you know, Dean still has over 30 stolen bases, you know, so even if his ceiling is something that's uh, on par with the, you know, Billy Hamilton is the, is the easy one or something like a Terrence Gore, yeah. You know, then there's still, you know, those are very productive major leaguers, you know, and, and Dean's got some some field to hit as well. But uh, I, I was kind of with you. I, I kind of looked at him as being a being a promotion candidate around about the time that, you know, that Trey got moved up. And you figured that, you know, as soon as Trey went up to Mississippi and there's the opening in the Florida outfield then Justin was going to step in and take it. So that was a little bit confusing about the fact that he hasn't. Um, yeah, but, so I don't know if that's a health thing, if he's just not 100% maybe still. I don't know. No, I think maybe they – hopefully they'll try and get him a little bit more time as, as, um, or give him a little bit of time. There's a, a month left in the minor league season now, so yeah. hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll get him up there. Uh, I actually want to ask you about somebody that I don't even know if we've ever mentioned on the show before, and we're p- uh, pivoting off of uh, – Position players, and it's a, a draftee from this year. It's Casey Kalich, uh, yeah. who's who's pitching in Rome right now. And you had him at uh, I think he was the fourth round pick this year, and he's pure relief prospect. Um, 
He's number 34, and he's just kind of killing it in Rome right now. So when, when I'm looking at different uh, potential promotions, whether it's Pache, Anderson, Kyle Muller, Tucker Davidson, I mean, I think Tucker Davidson is um, – you've got him at number 11. I think that he's definite candidate to to get bumped up a little, little bit. But I think Kalich, they mentioned the day that he got drafted that he's a guy that could really wind up moving quickly through the system, he already a college arm. So he's he's even a little little older than he needs to be for Rome. Uh, what can you tell us about him, and, and do you think that he uh, might be able to get some time in Florida soon? I would, I'd be surprised if he is not there by the end of the year. Um, the, I had, I've seen reports on 95-97 fastball and then just a wicked breaker. I've, I watched some games on on SEC Network, where the TV gun had him getting up into the upper 90s. Um, and the thing is, it's not a straight fastball. It's it, There is good movement on his fastball. I couldn't tell you where his, you know, where spin rate on either of them is, but just watching him and watching some games this year, that was a guy who, who stuck out. When you're, normally you get to the, relievers on most college programs even sec college programs they're just they're guys you know they're they're probably guys that they'll they'll provide minor league depth and that's about it he stuck out as a guy that you know this could be something this could be a guy who might he might have a major league future with that arm and then he's come out and right away in rome he looks like a guy who should move quickly um you know i i can't really put a good comp on him yet i haven't seen enough of him yet to get a good feel on that but there is just i i mentioned in the you know little write-up i did on there that you know as far as a potential stopper at the back of the bullpen there aren't a whole lot I don't know if there's anyone better than him as far as pure leaf prospects right now that I would consider in that role. Um, I think, you know, a guy, a guy like Anoa or Weigel potentially could be better as a closer. But as far as a pure leaf prospect right now, I don't know if I would have anyone else as a potential closer rated higher than he is. And that's good because I think that's something that the Braves kind of lack deep in the system. Um, just kind of moving on a little bit before we take up too much time on, on the second segment here. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on one guy who's absolutely been the bell of the ball for the draft. Everybody knows Shane Langoliers was, was the number nine pick, whether you loved that pick or hated it. Braden Shoemake at 21. But it's been Bryce Ball who has been the absolute most impressive oh. of all of them. Uh, I would assume that he's on his way to Rome as we speak. Is Bryce Ball really going to turn into a thing? Like, is this a real thing now? Well, and so here's here's the deal that I'm Bryce has great first base size. You know, he's got that. You know. He's not quite Richie Sexton big, but, you know, that great big guy that you really would look awkward on a baseball field anywhere but first base. 
Um, but Rome has, you know, and, you know, unless I've missed a promotion here in the last couple of days, Rome has Griffin Benson playing first base right now. He's finally taken a step forward with the power in his bat. So it'd be kind of interesting to see how they handled that if they have two guys who really kind of should be getting a a look at first base. Um, But Ball is, man, has he just been, he's been crushing baseball. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. And, you know, he came from from my neck of the woods last year, um, from North Iowa Area Community College, and then went to Dallas Baptist this year. Um, and he just, he has been actually hitting better this year for, as a pro than he did in college, which is kind of remarkable. Um, now what I will say as far as a, you know, keep your pants on, hold your horses sort of thing. So did so did Dylan's so already not wearing a shirt. So well, you know, I, I don't know what all Dylan's got going on over there. So you know, just you know, but CJ Alexander did the same thing last year. Came and way outperformed what he had done in in college. And while CJ does have the defensive ability to play third, which is why folks were willing to move him up into potentially the top 20 of the system or top 25 ball is really a first base only type of guy and maybe not even that. So if, you know, there is not going to be a DH in the national league until at least 2022, um, because that's not something they're going to fight for before the next collective bargaining agreement. So if he pushes forward and is ready to get hit the majors before that point, there's really nowhere to play him unless we get rid of that other guy that plays first base in Atlanta. And I, I really have no desire to see that happen. So while it's, it's awesome to see him succeed like this, I, and I really hope he keeps doing it. It's one of those things where there's, there's still stuff to work on the defense. Definitely. But, just to kind of keep that that reminder that hey, this is a guy who right now is he could just be on a, a big streak at the moment because he's hitting better than he ever did in college. Could be a feel thing, could be a two month hot streak, which hey, some guys go on. Who knows? But right now, you watch that swing; it's a it's a pretty power swing. I don't know that I trust that he'll hit for the average that he's hit for so far. But when he hits a ball, he doesn't get cheated on when he makes contact. That ball's gonna gonna move. So Yeah, he's been he's been a really uh really feel good story. And and it just speaks mm-hmm. to, to the to the Braves organization's ability to uh to find gems and the the later rounds of the draft. We talked about, oh, yeah. you know, just talked about CJ Alexander. I've mentioned Tucker Davidson before, but uh, I can't believe we've already taken up 40 minutes of your time. But, but before, <laughs> before we get out of here, I just have one question that I, that I am dying to ask you. Okay. okay. Um, so when you're building out a list like this, you know, 
you know, Pipeline will do their top 30, BA will do their top 30 um, for an organization. And that, that gets kind of tricky. And, and I suppose that, that just through some cursory observation, you could look at something and say, okay, well, you know, here's my top 10, here's my top 15. How in the world do you do a top 100, you know, when you're like, what's what realistically separates like number 68 from number 91 or, or whatever? I mean, is it is I just I have to know. You know, I. I will say for me, one thing you'll notice a lot is you get to about oh, I mean, 68 might be a good spot to actually start, but. You get down to that level, and pretty much everyone is Rome or lower. Um, I mean, there's very few AAA guys. If I'm going to rank them, there's very few AAA guys that are in the bottom half of the list. Um, it's a lot of flyer type of guys. Well, there's, there we go. At 83, I have Luis Valenzuela. You know, so somebody who might be able to have a backup role as a major leaguer that guy might still find his way onto the back of the list. But usually I'm going to be talking about, um, for one, I don't typically like to rank relievers very high. And so that's a place, the back end of a list, where I can talk about relievers because, <laughs> excuse me, like it or not, we've seen in across the league anyway, more and more of these relief-only prospects have an impact for a short term. Now, we aren't seeing those guys come up and have five, 10-year major league careers. That's a difference. But if a guy's going to come up who is a, a minor league reliever and impact your team for two years, that is someone you should know about a little bit. And so that's why I try to highlight some of those guys that have that type of stuff and mention them in the back of this this list and then there is a whole lot of dominican summer league as you get in the farther you get down on the list and you know that's intentional frankly i mean i i put on there that these are you know or that i when i'm putting together that list i don't have a whole lot of experience watching those guys myself i'm going off of i have a buddy who happens to be a scout down in the Dominican and writes up a lot of reports. And I basically say, tell me who I need to know on the Braves. And if I see some stats that I like, I say, what do you think on this guy? And he gives me info. And that's the big, big way I can get some stuff out on the Dominican summer league guys. Other than that, what you see out there is a lot of guys that, um, frankly, are when I'm putting them together, I just kind of put together a list and say, so do I like, you know, do I really like, you know, Luis Mora? Do I like him more than I like, you know, Mitch Stallings? You know, they're two very different players, but you start to weigh what could each be, what could each. You know, what's the potential future for each one's skill set? All those silly things. And, you know, you're really, while putting together a top 30, you're talking about someone who could potentially have a legit major league career. I mean, heck, 
you know, my number 42 on here is, is Ray Patrick Ditter. I really still believe Ray Patrick could be a, a very good bench piece in the major leagues. You get down in the back end of that, there's a lot of those guys are just, this is a wing and a prayer. And if this guy answers that wing and a prayer, boy, that could be fun. And, you know, some of those guys, you know, I, I know I had the uh, seal de la Cruz as like a number 70 prospect at one point and said, Hey, this guy's doing something in Dominican. I'm hearing good things about what he's doing. Should keep an eye on him. And he comes over stateside and really does well. Um, so I guess for me, it's just, it's, it's a lot of just taking a look and saying kind of that, do I like this player more than this player, this player more than this player? And you just keep moving them up and down the rankings and it all, it, you know, I, I give a little more weight to a guy who's at the upper minors. I give a little more weight to a position player. Those are about the two things I have. And then I, as far as a negative, I, I'm usually a little more negative on someone who's a relief only guy already in the minors. Other than that, it's just kind of, who do I like? And it ends up being a long process. <laughs> but it's kind of fun when you get done with the whole list and you can kind of look at it and go, huh, well, there's there's that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I just, I was just curious, man. That's, uh, it's an interesting look behind the process. I mean, for me, like, I, I don't really feel like I'm necessarily um, qualified to, to go much past 10 or 15 so i know that you bit uh, that both of you guys could do uh way way more than i could on that so thank you for uh, for uh satisfying that i've actually wanted to ask you that for a long time <laughs> no problem <laughs> well thank you for letting us waste uh for letting us waste about an hour of your time we do got to get out oh, no. <laughs> we got to get out of here uh to to hit our show time properly for the rest of the yeah. month but before we get out of here before uh before our guests don't hear from you for a little bit why don't you let them know where to find you and where to follow you at uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at Big Gentle Ben, Big Gentle Ben, just all one word. And my venture currently is my own website. It's videobaseballscout.com. And I put out a daily minor league update of everyone across the minor leagues who are, who's performing well each day. And then I try to put out two to three uh, articles a week at least of various different things going on in the game, scouting reports, things like that on the website as well. So um, certainly check that out. All right, you heard him there, folks. Make sure you follow along, Big Gentleman, and follow all of the crazy amount of prospect takes he has every single time that he does one, which seems every three months or so. But all you guys out there, thank you guys so much for listening to the episode this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you guys enjoyed the trade deadline. And hopefully your week, you did not find a great chest hair, and your week went a little bit nicer than mine. Thank you guys so much. Doc, thanks for joining me again this week, bud. Always a blast, man. Let's uh, let's do it again next week for number 75. Same time, same place, right? 
What's that? It'll be same time, same place, just like it will be every week. Once again, thank you guys so much. You know where to follow along. By the way, thank you to our to our two new patrons, Jason Nunnally and Aaron Cohen. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all